I see some of my friends and, well, when are you retiring? <laughs> my son is my chief investigator and he's been doing it for 28 years since he got out of college. And so that, when are you turning it over to your son? I said, never. When are you retiring? <laughs> I said, when I'm in that box in the funeral home. I said, I enjoy doing what, I'm, what I do. I enjoy being productive. I enjoy interaction with people and I enjoy helping people. Welcome to episode four of the Thing You Do podcast. I'm Tammy and I'm glad you're here. Now you just heard today's guest, private investigator, Ed Cobbler. Now, as you'll soon learn, Ed is a fearless, funny, fascinating fellow, and he answers questions with stories, which is why I think you'll find this episode especially captivating. Now, Ed works out of his office in Greensboro, North Carolina, which is in my neck of the woods. So I was able to meet up with him in person for our interview. Here's how it went. It had already been a long day, and it was only lunchtime. I was running late, and I was breathless as I threw open his office door. Unfazed, he turned around in his chair, looked me over, and said, Well, now, what's a pretty podcaster like you doing in a place like this? I said, Mr. Cobbler, please forgive my tardiness. Traffic on Battleground was an absolute disaster. He saw right through me. He knew I was actually late because I'd stopped at Sheets for a specialty coffee drink. Despite his irritation, he invited me to have a seat and said, Let's get this thing started. I've got a missing alpaca case to get to this afternoon. Oh, yes, Mr. Cobbler, of course, I replied. Why don't we start with you telling me about the thing you do? I'm Ed Cobbler. name of my company is ELC Investigative Services. We specialize in all types of investigations. People ask, well, what do you really do? And I say, we work murder cases to backgrounds and everything in between. Yeah, so let's say you're, you know, we're here at your office, your phone rings, you're pretty sure it's gonna be a potential client. What do you just automatically assume it might be? Or can you possibly even assume what it's gonna be? After 37 years being in the business, no, I don't assume anymore. (laughs) Because I think that I've seen it all and then I have a strange call. Such as a couple of weeks ago, I had an insurance adjuster that we work with on workers' comp fraud to call and say, would you be willing to go to Charlotte and because we need the chain of custody and pick up a urine and blood sample and take it to the lab? Being a courier, basically, at that point. Courier for blood and urine. So now I can add that to my resume. There you go. (laughs) Never had we had that before. It was a simple job, but it needed to be done, the proper chain of custody. Just like in law enforcement, you have to have that chain of custody and evidence. So we did it. Speaking of law enforcement, that's your background, right? It is. That's what you did before this? I spent 15 years with Greensboro Police Department. The last 10 was as a detective in the criminal investigative division, working in narcotics, juvenile, homicide, burglary. That's what gave me a lot of experience doing what we do now. I used to volunteer to go to all the schools, all the training, all the seminars, because most of the officers, they were content where they were. They didn't want to leave their families for two or three days. But I volunteered for all of those, and it really helped me as far as what I do today. What caused you to make the shift from law enforcement Mm -hmm. to detective? Law enforcement is a fantastic career, but I don't think the general public sees it as a profession. They see it as a job. And part of that is because of the pay. The pay is not good. 
It's related to taxes. Nobody wants taxes to go up. And so I had two teenage boys who were heavy into sports. Baseball bats were $300. Gloves were $200. Uh, Travel was very expensive. I was working extra jobs constantly to pay for all of this. And I said, I love solving the puzzle. And I started really thinking 15 years is, is the plateau to either stay for 30 or to move on to another career. Being a Christian, I prayed about it, and I did a lot of research and found out that there were no professional investigators in Greensboro. That blows my mind. That's well, 37 years ago. years ago. 37 years ago. It's a good ago. while. Yeah, so you, what a perfect opportunity. You had the whole market to yourself. I really did. And having, working in the criminal division, obviously I worked with a lot of attorneys. Attorneys would come to me and say, can we talk about your case? Yes, sir, let's go to the conference room. I'd give them all my facts. I was not one of those people, well, let's go to court and we'll see what happens. Either you had the facts or you didn't. So I developed a strong rapport with attorneys because I worked with them. And so I reached out to these attorneys that I knew and and I said, hey, I'm thinking about starting a private investigative business. Would you, oh my goodness, yeah, we really would. We go to Raleigh, we go to Charlotte, nobody here. So it was just a great opportunity, came along at the right time. I've been very blessed. You know, I have several people that that work for me, work with me is what I like to say, because you have to have a good team surrounding you in order to have a good business. And in, in, in business, period, you have a reputation. It's either good or bad. Obviously, ours is good after 37 years. The phone keeps ringing. Do you have any plans to retire no. anytime soon? You're no. just going to keep... The guys that I worked in the police department, which obviously uh, they would have retired many years ago. I see some of my friends and, well, when are you retiring? <laughs> my son is my chief investigator, and he's been doing it for 28 years since he got out of college. And so that when are you turning it over to your son? I said, never. When are you retiring? <laughs> I said, when I'm in that box in the funeral home. I said, I enjoy doing what I'm what I do. I enjoy being productive. I enjoy interaction with people. And I enjoy helping people. Everybody that calls, whether it's an attorney, insurance adjuster, a private individual, they need help. But I do enjoy it so much, so there's no reason to retire. I'm active in my church. I'm active as far as volunteering. I play tennis. I work out. I enjoy a good social life as well as my business life. Um, you mentioned your son. So you said he's your chief investigator. I think I remember you saying your daughter works uh, in your office as well. Is that correct? She does at night. She's in another profession, but she loves doing the report. She loves the the listening to the murder interviews and all those kind of things. So, you know, it's kind of an outlet for her and extra money for her. Well, and so one question I like to ask my guests is, you know, if your child or if your kid or grandkid was interested in getting in your field, would you encourage them to do that? Obviously, in your case, the answer is yes. Yes. (laughs) Well, it's nice having a son and a daughter involved. And the other son, he served some legal papers for me. But he is not one. He says, I cannot sit out there for eight hours watching a house and maybe nobody moves. And sometimes we have that. Sometimes the assignments are dull, but you don't know. I mean, on the insurance fraud, we start watching someone at seven in the morning. Beautiful day. And usually we put in eight hours and sometimes they never move. They don't come to get the newspaper. They don't come to get the mail. They don't go move the garbage cans. But that's just part of it. We all have this idea of a detective doing the stakeout, you know, 
So obviously that is something that is part of your job. It is. Um, do you have favorite stakeout snacks? What do you do to kill the time? So you have to have plenty of water. And you have to have some snacks, some some cheese crackers, some peanut butter crackers. <laughs> See, but, I get to the really important things. What right, are you snacking right. on at the steakhouse? <laughs> um, I'm not, never have been big on fast food because right. I've always tried to keep myself in shape. And so, of course, if you're on a steakhouse, you miss lunch. Uh, so you try to have a, a decent breakfast and then a decent dinner and snack at lunch. But those assignments get boring sometimes when oh, yeah. nobody moves. Because I'm an action-oriented person, and the business depends on action, especially the workers' comp. We want those people to move. We want to see how, how they're acting. Uh, they have a bad back. Uh, are they moving around with a cane? Are they moving around loosely? Do they pump their own gas? Do they mow their, their own yard? Uh, are they climbing up on the roof and cleaning their gutters? <laughs> <clears throat> and so when that happens, because I have to admit I'm an adrenaline junkie, and I get excited still get excited over the cases and, and making the cases and, and seeing people uh, do some action to where we can video that. Because what happens is the insurance companies have confidence in us and we've been on multi-million dollar cases to where we had to, well, we were hired to develop evidence. We didn't have to, but we were hired to look and see. And we've developed some, some good evidence that saved the insurance companies lots of money, which in turn saved us as individuals. Because insurance companies don't go out of business, they just increase premiums. Exactly. So if we can save them money, then that means overall we're saving the general population money as far as insurance. Some people just don't think there's anybody watching them. Mm -hmm. And so they go about doing their everyday things. If they want to go play golf, they play golf. We've caught them on the golf course with severe injuries, supposedly. Tennis tournaments, pool tournaments. We get a lot of information from Facebook. So all, the, so all of a sudden, we see John Smith has posted on Facebook that he won $4,000, the big uh, paper, uh, cardboard check, $4,000 in a pool tournament. So the insurance company... And supposedly he's severely disabled. Back, neck, shoulder, very disabled. They, they had him on light duty, and they had a chase lounge that he could lay in and count the trucks as they go in and out of the gate on paper. Very light duty job. So we went to, and let's see, we'll be, try to be politically correct. A very um, country atmosphere. Gotcha, gotcha. I'm very country it. atmosphere mm -hmm. and a very small bar. Mm -hmm. And they had pool tournaments there. And so everybody couldn't go into that place. I couldn't. I smell law enforcement all over me. Everybody says, you look like a cop. You act I like mean, a cop. You stand with To me. be fair. So my son was a college jock. Uh -huh. He can wear the baggy shorts. He can wear the tank tops. He has earrings. He has a shaved head. He has a goatee. Nobody ever thinks he's the heat. He tried to take his wife in, and she was too clean. <laughs> so he had to search out some friends that were very country, <laughs> and we put a hidden camera in the pocketbook. How do you explain that to your friend? Like, look, I'm looking for somebody <laughs> who's kind of a rough-looking redneck, and you, you fit don't the bill. explain that. You, <laughs> you just don't say, say that, <laughs> Sally. 
Would you go with me on an assignment? Oh, I'd love to. Yeah, very exciting. So we'll put the camera in the pocketbook and go in and make sure that the camera is angled at the pool table. And every now and then you move that pocketbook around. That insurance company wanted us to continue to continue and build a solid case. And I can't remember 10, 15, or 20 tapes of this person playing pool laying on the pool table and stretching <laughs> out to make that difficult oh, shot. Word. And we just nailed him. I mean, so what happens then? Does the person have to pay all that money back? I mean, because most of the time, I'm guessing they already spent it all. So how does that work? Here is the strange situation. Workers' comp goes through Industrial Commission, North mm -hmm. Carolina Industrial Commission. They're very liberal. They believe in the employee more than they believe in the employer. Therefore, we have to make a gigantic case for them. Oh, my gosh. Well, yeah, I see. That, that's just really bad. They're abusing the workers' comp. Very seldom do they take people to court. Very seldom do they make people pay money back. But it, it causes the insurance company to be able to drop the case, settle the case for much less than the person was asked. Because they get an attorney and say, oh, man, yeah, you... You fell on the job. Uh, uh, you fell off of that tractor. Uh, this is probably half a million dollar case. And so the person's eyes just light up. But if they if they could settle for ten or twenty thousand, they feel pretty good. So the insurance company settles fast and settles much easier as far as the amount of money. So has this career, I guess, law enforcement and now being an investigator. Has it made you um, cynical about people? Like, do you just like, okay. um, Law enforcement can tend to make you cynical. Retired police officers don't do well in this business. Hmm. Number one, they're badge heavy and gun heavy. Number two, they've had their fill. Number three, they're not hungry because they get a retirement check. I'm hungry because I didn't retire, left after 15 years. Right. I caught myself getting cynical four and a half years as a narcotics agent. Mm. That's all we de dealt with mm. was so-called bad people. I specialized in search warrants, getting drugs off the street, uh, worked undercover for six months buying drugs. And I caught myself developing that attitude. And I said, no, 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 no. So I went from one of the strongest divisions as far as being well known mm -hmm. to the lowest. So I went from narcotics to the juvenile division, working, oh, wow. working with kids under 16 that violated the law. But I noticed my attitude was changing. So I said, it's time to move. Yeah. But getting out of law enforcement, I didn't have a cynical attitude about people. I've always tried to believe the best in people. I uh, did a lot of counseling when I was in law enforcement to try to get people back on the right path mm -hmm. and do that now because I go into prisons and interview people. Uh, I go into the jails and interview uh, because we do a lot of defense work in murder cases, rape cases, robberies, serious uh, criminal cases. And so I talk to that person because one day if that person is guilty and they're found guilty, they're going to get a lot of time in prison, but one day they're going to get out unless they're 50 or 60 years old and then they may not. So 
I, I, I do do counseling work, and and I think that helps me also is to keep me on the right track and not let me get cynical. Because I promise you, going into the jails and the prisons is not exciting. I have to psych myself up doing that because I served in Vietnam. I uh, was a jungle fighter, proud, very patriotic, proud that I made it. But uh, having PTSD is tough going into a jail because you'll have five or six doors that are locked behind mm. you. You are locked in. You hear the door slam and you really have to. I have to psych myself up. I'm on a mission and I know I can get out when I push, push the button. Right. <laughs> so I interview the person. I get the statement, hit the button and I can get out. I know it's a job. I know that I'm going to be there one or two hours and boom, that I get to get out. So once again, I know I'm helping somebody because I interview the people. I get the facts. They tell me they have witnesses. They tell me it's a self-defense case. And then I know I have a mission to do. Who would hire you for something like that? Because obviously the police are investigating in one case. Is it the um, defense attorney that's bringing you in or how's that yes. who's hiring you in that scenario? The defense attorney brings me in. Sometimes the families bring me in. Uh, if the families have enough money to hire an attorney and, and to hire an investigator. But most of the time, the people do not have the funds. And so they, if they're charged with murder, mm -hmm. they're appointed a defense attorney. And that defense attorney is great in court, but they cannot investigate. Because if they try to go knock on somebody's door and say, I'm attorney John Jones, the door is probably going to get slammed in their face. Because people start getting scared. They think, oh gosh, I'm going to have to go to court. They may have to go to court, but see, I approach it in a different direction. I knock on the door and I said, are you John Jones? Yes, I am. I said, man, I, I'm an investigator. I need some help. Oh, how can I help you? I don't mention court. I don't mention subpoena. I don't mention testify. I just, hey, man, can you help me? I'm trying to help a Billy over here. And Billy says that this case was self-defense and that you were a witness. So I don't talk all their bad lingo, but I try to kind of keep it in the street and to where I befriend somebody so they'll give me the Disarm. information. Yeah. 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 And so uh, so that's that's how I get involved in the in the murder cases is I'm I'm court appointed with the attorney. Tell me about a time that you have been afraid for your life in your job. Have there been situations where you thought, oh, this is not a great situation for me? My wife tells everybody that I'm fearless. Mm -hmm. Having served in Vietnam, having served in combat, having been shot at, having been involved in all the horror that, that I went through for 13 months, life is a piece of cake after Vietnam. I, I'm not a hero, but I don't get scared. And, and, and I guess the reason is I'm just built for this. Recently, we had nine days and nine nights of protest in Greensboro. I have a reputation with News 2. I'm like their crime analyst, their consultant. They've interviewed me. And so the president called. He said, hey, we're going to need you. Are you open? Are you willing? Mm -hmm. <laughs> he said, I'm going to turn you over to the news director. I said, sure. So they called. We need you to protect our news team. Check the, the reporter and the photographer. I said, okay. So my wife, my daughter, my son, my, all my friends said, you're crazy. <laughs> you are crazy. There is no way you should be down there with all those protesters. You know, breaking windows, looting and screaming and in the police officers' faces. And 
And once again, when it was over, people said, were you scared? And I said, no. And they said, well, why did you do it? I said, I'm built for that kind of stuff. But that's just me. I said, I know I'm an adrenaline junkie. Mm-hmm. I said, News 2 has confidence in me. Ask me to do it. I mean, who else were they going to get? Somebody they didn't know, but they had confidence in me. They knew me. And we did it. And we were successful. And my people are safe. I'm safe. So I'm very careful what I do, where I go. I'm very conscious of my surroundings. I don't think anybody is going to do harm to me at close range. A sniper could get me (laughs) because I can't see that far away. But I take care of myself. You know, I work out. I know some martial arts. I know good self-defense. And so uh, I don't go in the bad areas on a Friday night at midnight. I go during the day primarily, or if I have to go at night, I take someone with me. I usually have a weapon. Yeah, I'm thinking you probably are packing if I had (laughs) to guess. I usually have a weapon. (laughs) Hopefully never have to use it. Sometimes I show it. They all do that on TV too, the kind of the casual, like, oh, look there. Exactly. (laughs) I have an inside the uh, pants holster. And so the holster is inside, but the handle of the weapon shows. So sometimes on purpose, I just stick it in there. Hey, how you doing? Good to see you. I need some help. (laughs) And they immediately see that. Oh, yeah. So... You know, now I tell them I'm an investigator or whatever. They think, and here's the thing, the general public thinks that we have more power than we do. They think we're almost like law enforcement. Now, we're not. However, we don't have to give the Miranda warning. We don't have to have a search warrant when we go in somebody's house. You know, I mean, I go in somebody's house and I say, uh, I need to search your room. Okay. They don't have to sign anything. I don't have to advise them of anything. If I find some evidence that... Maybe he's criminal. I'll call 911 and get somebody out there. So my restrictions are less than law enforcement in order to make a case. And that's very helpful. I mean, I get a lot of confessions out of people. And I think because I try to befriend somebody, I try to treat everybody with respect and dignity. And that's carried me all through the years. People say, I wouldn't tell you anything. You don't know what you would do. If you were a stranger and I knocked on your door and you were a possible suspect in something, you don't know how you're going to act. You're saying that now. Yeah, I know you. I wouldn't tell you. I'd slam a door. People don't. The majority of people that I confront, I'd say 99%. Talk to me. Probably also you don't have the badge and that uh, disarms people a little bit more than if you came in there with a badge on. It does, right. And sometimes their defense is up. And then I have to de-escalate the mm-hmm. situation by befriending, by talking about whatever until I get down to the nitty gritty. Like, I've been very fortunate with confessions on embezzlements because I've worked a lot of embezzlements. And I will make a friend of that person for five or ten minutes. And then I'll say, why did you take the money from the company? Not did you, but <laughs> knowing already pretty much that they did. And it just totally catches them off guard. Because one minute we're talking about their mother right. or their wife or their kids. Oh, yeah. See, I Gets try them to in them. that place. Try to hit them in the heart. And if they're a female, they start crying. And then it just comes out. There's a lot of female embezzlers, it seems like. 
What is that it about? Is. I mean, I it seems know. like on the TV, there's always stories of this woman who is literally like the mom down the street that you would never expect, who stole hundreds of thousands of dollars from this company. It's amazing to me. The hardest case that I worked on an embezzlement was a 73-year-old grandmother. My grandmother is responsible, along with God, as to who I am today. I grew up in an alcoholic family, mm. had a wonderful grandmother who pulled me out on the weekends took me to church at an early age. They lived on a horse farm, uh, taught me the importance of working, taught me manners, yes ma'am, no ma'am, respect women at all costs, uh, the value of working. She died at 73. Oh, wow. This lady was 73. So I had my background information on her, met with the, the owners of the furniture store. So I knew she was 73. Knew she was a grandmother. I said, man, my work's cut out. Mm -hmm. So I talked to her, and naturally, it's going to be extremely hard for a 73-year-old to admit what she'd done. And so we talked, and we talked, and then we got into the money issue, and she said, I wouldn't steal as much as a postage stamp from this company. I love these people. She'd been working for them for 14 years. I had a pencil in my hand. Don't don't really use a pencil, but it was one on the desk. And I slammed the pencil down on the desk. I said, Sally, and I raised my voice. I can't believe that you were lying to me. I know what you did. I know you took that 14,000. Oh, I'm so sorry. She started crying. I cried with her. And she said, I did it for my grandchildren and, and this and that. And, so it was sad that she still did it, but nine times out of 10, the companies want their money. They don't necessarily want to prosecute because if you prosecute, it's going to take forever to get you money. If you're lucky, $5 a month restitution. Mm -hmm. So I always say after we're over, you know, I record the statement. We're going to record this. Now I want you to write it out. We've got it both ways now. You can't go back and say, I didn't tell him that. So... I said, well, listen, we have two options. What are they? Well, first option is I get on the phone. I said, because they're on standby. Mm -hmm. I don't have them on standby, but I'm making them think that. They're on standby. They're waiting for me to call and tell them to come in and arrest you. Oh, my gosh, what's the, what's the next option? You can pay the money back. Okay. Now, do you have the means to pay it back? I, I do, I do, because I sold my house. And I turned the proceeds over to my son so the government wouldn't know that I had those proceeds and I could move into government house and not talk. Oh, geez. Oh, and I'm paying for that. Wow. As a taxpayer. Yeah. So I said, okay. I said, then that's what I want you to do. I said, I'm giving you 14 days to make put this money back into their account. She paid it back within 24 hours. Wow. So they earned every dime that they paid you to do that, didn't they? Yeah. And more. Yeah. So what is somebody who wants to get into private investigation? What, what do they do? Like, where do you start? <sighs> well, it really helps to have some kind of law enforcement background. I hear and talk to many people, a lot of females. Mm -hmm. I've always thought about being a private investigator. I have a sixth sense. It's hard for somebody to just right off the street, come in and be trained. Number one, we, we would have to train them. I would have to see there's a lot of potential with that person. 
Number one, the person is fearless. Number two, the person's a good talker, has a lot of patience. If they're involved in a family, uh, uh, female, male, whatever, is your family behind you? Are you willing to work crazy hours, weekends? Because that's what we do a lot. You really have to examine the person, sit down and talk with them. It takes a very rare individual to, to make a good investigator. I've got two guys. My son's been 28 years and other guys have been here 30 years. They're excellent at what they do. The one guy, when I have too many murder cases, I get him to in, involved in a murder case or a rape, uh, get him in the serious traffic accidents where someone's died and we have to reinvestigate or whatever. But it just, I, I don't know, it's just a rare talent. If somebody wants to, I encourage them to get a criminal justice degree, uh, go to the um, the criminal justice program at, at Guilford Tech. But I know a lot of investigators, almost all of them have some law enforcement background. Mm -hmm. It just seems to take that. You have to have some type of authoritarian attitude. You have to be persuasive. It's just a lot of traits and characteristics that a person has to have. So there's only so much you can train. It is. There's a lot of it that's just the person either is or they aren't that way. I tell people it has to come from the gut. Mm -hmm. I had one person, and we have to be legal sneaky. So that means we might have to sneak around the house a little bit to see some things. Now, we can't trespass. If they've got signs there, we better not be there. If somebody has told us not to be there, we better not be there. you got to know where the line is. Right. Be ready to walk You, you do. And so I'm sneak we're sneaking up on a patio when it's dark. And when it was over, this guy had about 28 days that he had been working with me. When it was over, he said, I'm done. I can't do this. And he said, not, not, and he was younger than me. He said, my heart can't take it. He said, no, <laughs> not built for it. I uh, said, okay, it's good that right. you figured that out. Yeah. So, and then I had one guy who was overly aggressive. He wanted, it's like, it's like a wannabe. Now he was smart, but he, he would go two steps further than I asked him to go. And he wouldn't, he wouldn't, he would not listen. And my gosh, he made it six, eight, ten months. Finally, and my guys, he drove them crazy because he was he overextended himself, and they fussed at me. Why is he still here? Because I'm giving him a chance. When I'm done and enough is enough, <laughs> that's it. Yeah. He tried with a couple other companies, and he was just too aggressive. Mm -hmm. I mean, yes, you have to be aggressive in this, but you have to know your limits. You have to know when to stop. It's a tough profession because you have to be sneaky. You have to be good on surveillance. You can't be caught. Uh, domestic issues, husband and wife's issues. Uh, a husband is cheating and, and he makes a million dollars. He knows if he gets caught, he's going to have to pay that wife, that dependent spouse, a lot of money. And if the wife gets caught, she knows she's not going to get out of money. So you're talking about six cents. I mean, yeah. they are looking. So it's very hard. And then here we are trying to get the evidence. And you really have to be good. And, and it's tough because I have followed somebody from here to the mountains of Tennessee. In fact, it was a furniture truck that we had that I followed. I think it was 350 miles. 
And when we got to the mountains and that truck's going 20 or 25 miles an hour. And you're trying to inconspicuously follow. Thank you. Be behind it rather than pass. Oh, that was terrible. Oh, that's funny. So we followed them one block and the red light gets us and we're done. It's a tough profession. It's a rewarding profession because you're providing facts, developing information, evidence for companies or individuals. And it's, and it's a, a good feeling when you've done that, when you've completed your mission. Um, but like I said before, murders to backgrounds, legal papers, legal papers can be very strange. It took me a month to be able to figure out how to catch a woman that owed $11,000 and she was being sued and we had to find her and serve her. And I'll, and I'll just tell you quickly because I'm proud of what we did. No one knew where she was. Lots of different addresses. So I'm checking addresses. I'm checking the Department of Motor Vehicles. We, d- we finally developed a phone number. Having a good research person on your team is essential. See, and I'm thinking there might be a lot of women particularly who think they might want to get into private investigation, but all of the law enforcement stuff and all of that sounds a little bit more than they're interested in. But they might make some incredible research people. Correct. So I have a lady who is an investigator, but her big deal is she's a research person. I've worked with her since 98. And she and I have made a lot of money together. And and we've helped a lot of people, found a lot of people. So I got the phone number. She can do a cell ping. Don't know how she does it. (laughs) I don't care how she does it. I charge my client. She charges me. She did the cell ping. Sometimes it's on the money, sometimes it's not. Came back to this address. Okay, so I go to the address and I knock on the door. And a man comes to the door and I said, I'm trying to locate Michelle Thompson. He said, doesn't live here. It took a little while for, for, the, for the man to come to the door. So number one, that kind of set me off. He said, you might want to check down the street. Well, I didn't tell him that I had information. So, okay, so... I go back to my research person and I, and I told her, I said, you sure about that address? Without me asking her to do something else, she did it. We have this great relationship. She called the number. This person was, was a uh, hairstylist. She called and asked about getting her hair done. And she said, I've heard about you. Do you have some referrals? She gave her some names and phone numbers and she called them and said, where can I find Michelle to get my hair done? She's living at 420. She's cutting hair at 420. So we knew that was her. So I checked the house periodically, some cars there, customers. Was hoping to maybe on the spur of the moment, she comes out of the house and leaves. And then I can say, you've been served. Right, right. Because that's all you gotta do. That's all you gotta do. Stick the papers in their face. So I said, okay. So I got one of my female associates to go. And we always hide the papers behind us. And so she goes and she beats on the door. Nobody comes to the door. So I'm standing at the garage to where I can say, beat on it some more. And so the woman came to the door, but didn't open it. Who are you? Oh, my name's Debbie. I'd like to talk to you about uh, hair. And I don't know you. Get away from my door. Get off my property. Golly. <clears throat> so then I said, okay, how about a FedEx package? How about... Uh, any box package. And then I thought, oh, no, no, I know a good way. 
I've got a black investigator, and he's in his 60s, and he has a wife, sweet wife. I said, I'll bet they'll open the door if they come. Well, here's what he did. He went above. I didn't tell him to do this. He got some flowers. He got a basket. He got balloons and said, uh, you, you are, we are from UNCG and we are uh, recognizing certain people in the neighborhood. She laughed. She said, oh, thank you very much. And she reaches for all that. And he, then he said, you've been served. <laughs> Took us a month. I promise you the paralegal and the attorney were so excited. And I know the client had to be excited. I wish you had a video of her face. Yeah, because she was laughing. She was smiling. And, and I said, well, did she say anything? He said, no, we turned around. And evidently she was just so flabbergasted about the about. Now I've been served. I got this gift and now I've been served. Yeah, she probably took about 20 minutes just to think it thought like, what just happened? Yeah, what, what just, was that? Right. Oh my gosh, that's funny. So what about TV private investigators? Obviously, it's such a big genre for novels and movies and TV. So what do they get right and what do they get wrong? Back in the day, Simon and Simon. You remember that show? Vaguely, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you were probably a little, gir little girl. I was a police officer. And I enjoyed watching it because they went from case A to case B to case C in an hour. Mm -hmm. I remember they had a workers' comp case and they could not catch this guy out of his wheelchair. And so they went to the house under a pretense. They always had a card and you can do that. You can impersonate anybody you want to except a police officer. Right. Okay. That's that makes, against the law. That makes sense. But you can have a painters, you can have a consultant, you can have a therapist, whatever. They always had cards. And so they went to the house under a pretense and the guy was out uh, on his deck next to his swimming pool. And so they accidentally pushed him into the swimming pool, knowing that he's going to swim up. Right, right. He didn't. So they jumped in the pool and saved his life. Oh, sir, sir we're, we're so sorry. But he was faking. Oh, okay. He was faking, but. They didn't catch him that they way. They didn't catch him that way. No. <laughs> so, rule one, don't try to drown. Oh, my your, gosh. So. I enjoyed that because it showed the different cases that they worked. Stacy Keach was a PI, but he always had a bottle of liquor in his in his in his desk drawer. Don't you? No. And, and he he fell in love with all the women, and he gave all the money back. No, that doesn't work. It doesn't work like that. No. So I mean, I enjoyed watching them, but Simon and Simon back in the day was pretty good. Now Magnum was real good, except mm -hmm. you don't park a red Ferrari in front of the house that you're watching. When you're Traveling to Tennessee in the mountains behind that furniture truck, the red Ferrari's probably going to stand out. Yeah. And, and that always got me because I had worked surveillance, obviously, obviously in narcotics. But bits and pieces from different ones. The, the new uh, Magnum show is pretty good because he usually takes a murder case or a serious missing person case. And, and, and I like the way he interacts on there with his different people. And you know, he's a former Navy SEAL with his other uh, buddies that were in the military. And so I relate to that being mm -hmm. former military. And, and of course, I watch the, the law enforcement shows, too. So you watch all like the Law and Order and the... Yeah, Law and Order. The Blue Bloods, because I like Tom Selleck a lot. Uh -huh. You know, he's, he's a good actor. Um, but they don't have any, um, any that are just real solid down to earth. But I think what they have is they have some good consultants on there that are either former law enforcement or former PIs 
that they have paid to be a consultant. So tell me real quick, I'm sure um, technology has vastly changed over the 37 years you've been doing this, and I'm guessing it's made it a lot easier. Would you agree? There's nothing like boots on the ground. I have to use that since my military background. Sure. You're never going to stop the advantage of boots on the ground. Um, Yes, we have tracking devices. It's a tool. The tracker cannot testify in court. So you still have to have that person. And that's the thing about it. We try to prepare every case as if it's going to court. In other words, people say, can you just get me a photograph of my husband having lunch with Sally? And I said, no, ma'am, we can't do that. Well, why? Because that's not evidence. Anybody, any man can have lunch or dinner with a woman. That's not evidence of adultery. You have to have photographs, video of a person going behind closed doors for several times and several hours and coming out. And you have to see the person that's in the house somehow. So I said, it's a lot to it. And I tell everybody, a domestic case is just like a murder case. You have to have the elements of the crime and you have to put all the elements together to make the case. And that's why this business is just not for everybody. Because some people get excited. Oh, yeah, yeah, I I got them. There they are. Okay, they're together. Well, there's a whole lot more to it than that. And that's why I have to explain clients. Our investigations are expensive. And I tell people that right up front. I don't know how much this is going to cost. We start with a retainer. It probably will cost more than the retainer. I will tell you when the money runs out. Be prepared for that. Uh, Because sometimes, oh, my gosh, I had no idea that... It was going to cost that much, and no, I, I can't afford it. Right. Okay. All right. Let's. I like to be upfront with people, not have any surprises. Um, everybody can't be satisfied. Sure. They spend money. They expect results. Okay. I can guarantee you we'll be there, but I can't guarantee you that we will get the results that you want because it just might not be there. But if you don't find something, oh gosh, they, some people they just get upset. Yeah, you know, just torn out of the saddle. But your job is really not to prove, like with the law, you're not trying to prove somebody guilty. You're really just trying to gather the evidence. That's it. And let it gather the itself. evidence. In fact, the Business Journal did a uh, an article on me. And it actually goes back to Jack Webb in Dragnet. Oh, wow. Okay. Because he used to say, just the facts. And so that's how they described this article. Just the facts. And that's what we do. We just get the facts and develop the evidence. And and I had a law enforcement officer. He was a SBI agent. And I had worked drugs with him. And so now I'm working for the defense. He got mad. <laughs> so mad. I can't believe you're working for the drug dealer. I said, I'm working for the attorney who's representing the drug dealer. I said, everybody's entitled to a proper defense. And at this time, I'd been in business several years, and it was rolling. And I re- he, he just got, he got mad and, and was sarcastic. And I really wanted to tell him that I could buy him, <laughs> but I didn't. Because I know how much law enforcement makes, right. and I know what I was doing. And you can make, I mean, I don't expect you to go into detail, but you can make a very comfortable living. I think a lot of us mm-hmm. picture the, the detective shows other than Magnum. You know, the guy living in the um, the ratty apartment. With, Driving you know, a 20-year-old yeah, car. Exactly. But you can 
do very well okay. for yourself. If your reputation is good and you expose yourself to a lot of industries and people, you can. And, you know, I've, I've been told by attorneys that I'm the best in North Carolina. And, okay, if they want to brag about me, that's, that's wonderful. I've been told by my PI buddies that I'm the best public relations person in North Carolina, the best PI they've ever seen. Because what I, what I did on purpose, but I did it for two reasons. I did it to volunteer, to help in the community, and, and you know, be associated with different groups. And so I got, on, I got involved with commissions and boards and, and different things. And All having to do with private investigation no, or with just community just boards? Community. Okay. And so now my daughter, my son, they say, God, you know everybody. Everybody knows you. That helps in business because people know what I do. They know we have a good reputation. And it's because I put myself out there. You know, I, I didn't just come in here and, and sit in here all the time with, with nothing to do and waiting for the phone to ring. I volunteered in the community and, you know, worked with the, with the Red Cross, got involved in, in different groups and boards to where I could help people. You know, got involved in March of Dimes, which was huge because there were a lot of big name people that got involved with March of Dimes. And so. So it's a win-win. You're helping uh, important causes, but you're also connecting with people who might need you one day. Yeah. That's exactly right. And and everywhere I go, if somebody talks or I meet somebody, I'm quick to hand a business card. Absolutely. But <laughs> it might be painter, it might be florist. You just never know which card you're gonna give them. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Oh my goodness. Well, Ed, it has been delightful. I loved just your enthusiasm. I love the fact Thank that you're you. like, I'm doing this till as long as I'm breathing. You know, I think everybody longs to find a job that they feel that way about. So good for you. I think so. Again, that was Ed Cobbler, private investigator and owner of ELC Investigative Services. You'll find his website at elcinvestigative.com. That link is also in the show notes for this episode. By the way, I was curious about Ed's age, but I felt awkward about asking him. So I did a little investigative work myself and discovered, if my sources are correct, that he's 73. Now, I think those of us who haven't made it quite to our 70s yet would hope to be half the badass Ed is when we get there. Pardon my French, right? So if you enjoyed this episode, please go back and listen to the first three episodes, too. They're all pretty special, I think. I know, I'm biased. Um, also, make sure to subscribe to The Thing You Do on whatever platform you use for your podcasts. That way you'll never miss a new episode. And if you have the option and are so inclined, please leave a review. That will help other people find The Thing You Do in the middle of all the other podcasts out there. And that'll do it for this episode. Be well. And whatever thing you do, I hope you have a great time doing it this week. <laughs>